Hey, everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. I have a lot of Halloween candy in my mouth. Oh, well, all right, then. I'll be over here while... We'll be over here while you chew. I just went trick-or-treating in your kitchen. <laughs> That's the best place to do it. It's, it's heavily curated. Mm-hmm. Today on the show, we are going to talk about the true events, an unsolved case, actually, of the town that dreaded sundown. Well, that's what the movie is based on, is these true events. It's actually the Texarkana Phantom Attacks. The Phantom Killer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into it. Did you notice that his that the mask he used or that they gave him in the movie looks a lot like the original Jason mask? Yeah, I was thinking that. I I saw some inspirations. Yeah. Even though both movies are kooky. The f- the <laughs> first one it plays like a comedy. Yeah, to put it uh briefly, but we'll get into that. So the cold case of the Texarkana Phantom is a story that maybe some of you know, maybe some of you don't. These attacks some resulting in murder, some resulting in survival, but obvious assault happened between February 1946 and July 1946. So a very brief period of time, and it was five, it left five dead and three injured. And of course, this small town, it was a small town, but it was a booming small town. It was like a growing a lot in the 1940s. I mean, so, it wasn't everything. Yeah, exactly. They were also a, a pretty diverse town. Uh, there was a lot of diversity in this town. It was growing. It was kind of a boom town in Texas. But also with that boom came a lot of a lot more crime, as it does when, mm-hmm. when cities grow. So they were actually, from what I read, just kind of still getting used to that, still getting used to going from a small town to a not small town and having more and more crime. Yeah, and it was post-World War II. It was an interesting mm-hmm. time. People were coming out of that war, and that time was, there was a lot going on. Absolutely. So the first victims were James Hollis and Mary Jeanne Larry, who were dating. They were a young couple who were both divorcing other people, and they happened to be out, kind of, you know, parked as we do, as they do. Lover's Lane. <laughs> On a, and it was a quiet night, you know, and what ended up happening is they were both assaulted and he ended up, James ended up in a coma for 15 days. And so Mary Jean gave her story. And then when he woke up from the coma, unfortunately their stories were so different that authorities didn't feel as if they could had a lot to go on and they weren't sure how to go about it because there were a lot of differences in their stories. And that that's unfortunate. Like one, one of them said, uh, James said the perpetrator was white. Uh, Mary Jean said the perpetrator was black. So that was a huge difference obviously. And so that confused authorities and they didn't understand, but the guy was wearing a mask. So it's like, how, how would they really end up knowing? And Mm -hmm. it was dark and they were scared. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, you're going off of maybe your wrists you saw or something, you know, you're not going to be able to see a lot of what's going on. So they had different testimonies, which was difficult. And one of the things that they figured out later actually was that his pants were found 
away away in the woods i guess what ended up happening and this is actually portrayed in one of the movies at least is the guy tells him to take off his pants and then Mm -hmm. we're not sure what the guy did with the pants there's always kind of a sexual component not always but in several of these there's a sexual component and like a humiliation yeah humiliation and you know, I guess because of the time period, people weren't sort of saying what actually happened. There was a lot of kind of wanting to hold it, I guess, not wanting to confess to the police that they were in some way sexually humiliated or sexually assaulted. And these two surviving is that a panic in town and there were racial tensions already. And so one of the reports that I read was, you know, there ended up being you know, a lynching, there ended up being some terrible things that came out of the panic and the anxiety that kind of started with these assaults. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had experienced in this town, you know, car chases and robberies and different kinds of things. And it was the site of some other murders briefly like the year before or something like that. But they, they, they were really, it, it freaked everybody out. It scared everybody. I mean, they made two movies about it. So obviously. Well, yeah. I mean, they didn't know whether it was someone just within their own town. They they knew that it was someone who knew the area well. Mm-hmm. And the town literally dreaded sundown. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, reason- it, it, and it was such a brief period of time if we're looking at it, like whatever it is, six months or something. And so. It, it was a brief, chaotic, very scary time, which, you know, I can understand that. I think there was a um, a similarity to the Zodiac Killer. Yeah, they, they I read that. Uh, just the way he approached the victims and he often looked, I'm saying he, I'm assuming, I don't know. Mm-hmm. The way they approached the victims, looked for couples, mm-hmm. caught them. You know, we know that serial killers love to find people in states of vulnerability, they're easier to attack. So, you know, they're not going to go assault someone who's looking right at them and walking down the street usually. Yeah. And so this guy assaulted couples. Mm -hmm. So he definitely had a, a profile, a victim profile. So the second victims were Richard Griffin and Pollyanne Moore. I think my writing says Mm -hmm. (laughs) they were a young couple who was actually shot in their car. And what ended up happening with the evidence for these murders is that there was a lot of issues with the evidence. The evidence was stepped on, trampled on, touched by people that arrived at the scene. There was all of this shenanigans that didn't really work out. And uh, there was some, thought process or some suggestion that Pollyanne might have been raped. But again, the evidence and they just weren't investigating very well. Like the CSI was not was not doing a great job because <laughs> No, and this was before DNA. Yeah. Also we have to look at how Lim is before, you know, any sort of surveillance. It was before DNA. Forensic psychology hadn't been developed yet. I, before you get too far, I just want to mention a couple. I have nine different profiles of this killer, and you've mentioned a couple of them already. Great. Yeah, so throw them out there. The first one is, you know, and this is this one was only based on the first couple, so I don't know why it, it's considered part of the profile, but the first victims described uh, the phantom as tall, light-skinned African-American. 
targeted younger couples. We've talked about that. Let's stop there for now. I'll add one more. A psychologist described him as a sexually driven sadist. So those are the three we've kind of talked about so far. Yeah, there were these sexual components, but again, there was a lot of misinformation and there was a lot of like finding out later that there was a sexual component. They Their brains or their investigator brains just didn't go there immediately. And I, I don't think he ever, as far as we know, sexually assaulted anyone, right? Oh, yeah. There was evidence later that they found where oh, uh, yes, he, he would penetrate sorry. the women with his gun. With the barrel of the gun. You're right. So that was the other profile. Sexually assaulted his first victim using the barrel of the gun. That's right. There okay. you go. Mm-hmm. The third pairing is was a little bit interesting because this was Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker. And the way these victims were discovered was that Paul was dumped on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. There's this awful picture on the internet of him crumpled on the side of the road and he was found there. And so they thought it was a singular victim and they didn't connect the two at the time. And then Betty Jo was found like just about two miles away. She was sexually assaulted, but when they found her, she was fully dressed and she'd been shot. And Paul was shot four times just by the side of the road. So there's this indication that maybe he shot him, the male, and then drug the woman into the woods, sexually assaulted her, and then, you know, dressed her again. And she was just laying fully dressed, like coat and everything, just like flat on her back in the woods. So bizarre. And then the fifth and sixth victims were Virgil and Kate Starks. Now, Virgil was shot twice in the back of the head and Kate was shot twice in the face. But this is an interesting story because the confusion around this one is that Virgil and Kate were in their home and and the murderer had not gone into people's homes he w- he was usually finding them in cars or stalking them in the cars and like in isolated areas like out in the woods these first three couples were out in the woods away from everything but you can see with the third the third couple he got a he got more brazen by they were on the road and so that's much more uh, a place where you can be seen much more on the road than you know a couple parked in the woods like before so then we move on to his fifth and sixth victims who were Virgil and Kate and it was his home it was actually he walked up to the window Virgil was in the living room and he walked up to the back uh, you know outside the house and shot Virgil through the window in the back of the head twice and Kate comes out from the back room and sees that and doesn't know what's going on and immediately runs back into the kitchen to get on the phone to call the police, hypothetically. I mean, we assume that's who she was going to call. And the killer comes in the house and shoots her twice in the face, but she's already called the cops, so they're on their way, and she actually survives at the hospital because what she did was she called and then she was like running away or something. And he ended up shooting her twice in the face. And then she was taken to the hospital and she actually survived, which I think is wow. So crazy that she actually survived that. So that's how we end up with several dead and several alive. So remember the first two victims survived and then, 
And then he escalated where he was definitely making, he killing them because the first two he didn't try to kill. He just humiliated them and beat them up. And then he kills the second two, kills the third two. And then he meant obviously to kill these last two victims. And Kate was honestly an anomaly. She was shot twice in the head. And so, I mean, he obviously thought she was dead and then she wasn't. So, right. Interesting how the Zodiac killer followed how many decades later that was what the, that was the fifties or sixties, but uh, very similar. Um, and I wonder if anything has to do with, I don't know, the generational piece. Like this is just a really bizarre way of killing. And I know that sounds weird because killing, it's not like there's a normal way to kill, but you know, people don't really go to lover's lane and do things, do like parking cars and things like that anymore. It's very slasher movie. It's honestly. Very, very slasher. And I'm movie. wondering if a lot of our slashers got inspiration from these kinds wonder, of things, right? right? Like being alone in the woods or being alone, you know, um, some of the other profiles of this killer that I'll go through that we haven't mentioned yet was he launched attacks on weekends around three weeks apart. So that's interesting to mm-hmm. think about like, you know, enough that was his pace. Yeah. Enough for it to die down, maybe enough for him to get all riled up. We don't know anything. He was never caught. So we don't really have much. Mm-hmm. There was some struggle with his second double murder. The victims fought back. The phantom murdered his victims with a 32 caliber gun. He was very familiar with the area he was killing in. So he, they, they do believe that it was, very possible he was a resident. Yeah. And he intelligently planned his attacks and covered his tracks. So he he was incredibly organized. He was intelligent and shrewd and he was never impulsive. And I think that speaks to that three week gap. Yeah. So this was someone who was controlled and calculated and it does add up to me that he would know the area. Maybe he knew some of the victims. If it was a small town and even though it was booming, he knew where people were going to be. He knew what movies were playing at the drive-in. He knew, he kind of knew what was going on, especially on the weekends with these younger couples. Right, and, and, and it's interesting because a lot of times when we look at investigating crimes, at least from what I know, I'm not a police officer, obviously, but I've, I've done a bit of reading about it and we've studied a bit about it, is that you can look at the first murders. And so... If you look at the first murders, the couple that did not die but were assaulted, those two people were married to other people and were like leaving their people and getting together. And it was like 24-year-old and a 19-year-old. And if you look at the victimology of that, of course your number one suspect is going to be what a male from one of those relationships mm-hmm. because he didn't kill them. It, we we can try to assume that these were his first assaults, but of course, who knows? Because mm-hmm. he might have had earlier assaults that weren't connected to these. And then something triggered the spree. And then hypothetically, those first victims can often be personal. Mm-hmm. And then they go forward from there. But mm-hmm. so I don't know if that was one of the suspects, but. Yeah, I, it's just, um, it's creepy to think 
that these towns, like this, this, it's not that this would never happen today, but we don't really see things like this happen today. And this mm-hmm. level of like repeated. And I th- I do think it's just, it's harder for people to do that. But I also think our crimes have changed with yeah. internet and cyber attacks mm-hmm. and technology. This is a, this was a murder of its time. They can be more sophisticated yeah. at times. And Unfortunately, all that technology makes criminals better criminals. Right. I mean, it makes us all more efficient, but it also makes crime more efficient. That's right. So did you list all of your... your yeah, nine? that that was all of them. Okay, great. So let's talk about the movies. The first movie, <laughs> they're both called The Town That Dreaded Sundown, so... There's no mystery about that. But the first movie was made in, or it came out in 1976. It was directed by Charles Pierce. And this is the first time I had ever watched it. And it's a bizarre little flick. It it was like (laughs) a combination of a 70s slasher and cannonball run. Yeah, they were very much, it was very much had like a Keystone Cops feel when mm -hmm. the cops get involved. It's like this weird, the music, I think what lended it to be weird and sort of funny was the music choices. They made it sort of very light and airy when they're like. It was really weird because your emotion, my emotions from the 1976 and then the 2014, which we'll talk about in a moment, and it's a very different film. The mood and the atmosphere was very different. Nineteen, This 1976 took itself not very seriously. No, no. But then there were moments where it did. So, like, I, I was, I didn't really know how to feel when I was watching it. It was very much a drive-in movie. Yeah. So I know that Joe Bob's done this on Shudder. He's uh, done this movie for one of his series on there drive-in movies of course he obviously does so i know he's done it on there and it's very much a cult film very much a drive-in film so it mixes its tone a lot of times we want a movie to have a tone like a a, a through line a, mm-hmm. a, a congruent tone mm-hmm. and when it changes from like humor to horror to the like it, it gets confusing it was confusing yeah yeah so mm-hmm. it, was, it fine. was funny yeah i thought it was, it was funny and it was fine yeah and i didn't mind it so much i'll never watch it again it wasn't a movie that i would be interested in watching i did i was charmed because don wells was in it uh gilligan's island for those of you who may have seen that on the reruns oh my god that was her and a million years ago, I I worked on a on a musical that was like the Gilligan's Island musical or whatever. I was just crew on it. It was for a the theater. As part of that, at the end, they had some of the original actors come and like sign books and stuff. And at the time, Don Wells had a Gilligan's Island cookbook out. So she signed a copy for me. She was very nice, you know, whatever. She happens to be, she happens to have passed, actually. She Mm. passed uh, complications due to COVID. Anyway, I was really charmed to see her in the movie. So that was my favorite part. But otherwise, it's a weird, like if you like cult drive-in movies, you would love this because it's really silly. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It's a silly one. Now for 2014, very different film and played like a sequel a little bit. A little bit, I guess. Um, I mean, that's how it, that's how they describe it. Yeah. I I thought this movie was super bad. Like this movie is not a bad sequel in the sense that they did try to make it or not a bad like reboot or whatever the heck they were trying to do. It's got some things to it where they tried to match the tone, that weird like weird tone, but it's just like not a good movie. Uh, this is the second time I've seen it. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Why did you do that? (laughs) I watched it a little over a year ago when I was interested in this case. Mm. 
And then when we decided to do episode on it, I rewatched it. Got it. It's been it. a while. It just plays really strange. It's like a combination of, uh, I don't know, the newer ver- version of I Spit on Your Grave and some sort of like, I, I mean, and, and that, that would, that's even overrating it because it's not like torture porn or anything. It's not but scary. There's, this, there's a, also, I'm very confused by the ending. And I don't mean confused like I don't understand what happened or I didn't make the link, but it just didn't. Doesn't really work. It doesn't work for me and the mm-hmm. motivation that they used yeah. to, for the killer. You know, it's, it's basically the town X amount of years later, and there's a there's a connection apparently to the original Phantom Killer, which doesn't make a lot of sense because the Phantom Killer was never found. <laughs> so they sort of yeah. make up the fact that they ended up knowing who it was, and then they yeah. make the story right. They very much limped across the finish line. They really did. <laughs> it was like. Oh, we just like we're dragging ourselves by our teeth across the finish line of this yeah. movie because it just was really bad. And uh, for me, and I just felt like it was very like uninspiring the whole time. It just uh, the only thing I appreciated about this is that and I won't spoil both movies for you, but there is a scene with a trombone in oh, in both yeah. movies. And yeah. I was really happy that the 2014, I mean, considered 2014 in horror movies as well. So in the 2014 version, they had a rendition of the trombone scene that I thought was really great. And those two scenes in both movies were were really great were like mm-hmm. bizarre and odd but they kept that scene which is nowhere to be found in any of the <laughs> murders or assaults there's no trombone that i saw in, you're right it's in both in movies any of my reading but for, they they took inspiration from the first movie with that and oh. i and i did appreciate that that was still in there but you know other than that mm. i feel like this case could they could have done a lot with this movie, especially when they redid it in 2014 and it just fell really flat. Yeah. They could have definitely made it a scary movie. Yeah. You know, a a scary movie about a murdering rampage over six months in a Texarkana town. They could have done a lot with the, the Southern influence and the town and, and the fear and the panic that happened in that city. They They focus more on this girl's grief. Yeah, they made a whole little teen romance grief plot. Yeah, I don't like I, I 2014. Don't. Like honestly, it's like yeah. really, it's like a holdover from the aughts a little bit. They did a lot of those things in the aughts, and I don't know. It didn't really sell for me. No, but it wasn't I d- your favorite. No, but I do think the fir- the original movie because it's so weird and quirky and odd and culty and drive-in like. I do think that one's worth a watch. Like you know. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to watch it again if I can help it. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, 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 that's enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're good. Especially the 2014 one you watched twice. I did. And oh. I don't know if I ever finished it though. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're like, no, I don't remember that limping little limping. I, I remember not liking it very much, but I remember um, being interested by the case. I was looking up a couple mm-hmm. things a moment ago and they were saying that most people do not believe that the Zodiac Killer was influenced at all by the Phantom Killer due to the, the spread in time. And then we also know the Phantom Killer was in Texarkana and the Zodiac Killer was primarily in Northern California. And they just feel like there's n- most people are like, it's not the same guy it, it, kind of thing. Well, and that the, even the influence. Yeah, yeah. and we, we t- we've talked about these unsolved murders. A lot of times unsolved murders are unsolved because people just stop killing 
or they continue or they completely change however they're channeling that mm-hmm. and for whatever reason i mean the guy could have like walked off a cliff and died we don't know we, yeah. we just really don't know and we've talked about this uh in our episode this season myths about serial killers that a lot of people believe they can't stop but they can stop and they stop for various different reasons and you just don't know why this person stopped so but he did which i'm happy about thank god right all right thanks you guys so much for listening today we very much appreciate you this has been an episode of terror talk my name is shannon and i'm kathy sleep safe everyone